available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone out there, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football, and it will return November 7th. We have the full schedule. We'll break it down, talk about those crossover games. If you got to email us and have a question, you can do that, pac podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that to 424-532-0678. Get us on the Twitters at Pac-12Podcast or the website where you can find all our old episodes, plus some weird stuff that users might send us that we don't want to talk about on the show. We'll just put up on the website, Pac-12Podcast.com. we got more Pokemon stuff going up there if you want to check that out. We're on Reddit, Podcast of Champions. You can post stuff there and then also please subscribe on apple podcast give us a good rating five stars that's what we like to see and any kind of criticism you have for the show you can write it in the comments but the five star thing is what's most important Dave. it's non-negotiable now do we have any enforcement mechanism no no we don't but it's non-negotiable understand that understand that in the fullness of time vengeance will be ours if you do not give us a five-star review. Write yeah. whatever heinous things you want to write about us. But that five-star review, that's got to happen. That's got to come with the territory. It's part of the contract. You signed up when you... They, they still have to sign the contract, right, when they start listening? I think they do, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we send that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you signed it. Implicitly, explicitly, doesn't really matter. But you signed it, and that's the, the terms upon which you must abide. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. We also have, I, I don't think we have any new reviews. No, none. Um, we do have a, a Reddit thread. Uh, I'll read it to you. Well, I think it was a tweet. Yeah, so it was a tweet about uh, all the Pac-12 games are going to be televised on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, Fox, FS1. So nothing on um, the Pac-12 network. And one do we, of uh, Do we pour uh, one out for the network? We should, but one of our users said, guess the cable providers will keep paying carriage fees for water polo. Um, yeah, that ends up being like a, a big issue going forward, right, Dave? Like, it's good for everyone that the, the football games aren't going to be on the Pac-12 network, but is that the death knell for the network? Uh, no, the death knell for the network was when they jettisoned basically everyone who works there. Yeah, that, that was a good one, too, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I think uh, whatever form next season takes, uh, I don't know if they're going to talent up for it again or if they're going to have to drop the network and renegotiate, like, whatever aspect of the contract that was. But, yeah, something's got to give because they basically furloughed everyone, right? Yeah, they did. And uh, we thanks to Alississippi86, uh, Alississippi, I don't know, Alississippi86 for uh, posting that on the Reddit. We haven't read much on the Reddit, so I wanted to give like a little shout out to the Reddit people. So we love the Reddit. We love you. We do Reddit. love the Reddit. But that is an interesting like I've got emails from people that like work in television. And they're like, this is the perfect time to just 
you know, cut bait with the Pac-12 network. You're not going to be showing football games anyway. Just cut it and, uh, you know, let the new guys start fresh with a, a new network. And, I mean, that might be the right move. I don't know. You're a fisherman, so cut bait. What are we talking about there? Like, is that when your, like, line gets caught on some seaweed or something? Or is that when you've, like, snared a, a fish that you just you can't reel in? Like, what's cut bait? That's a good yeah, it's a good question. I would think it's more of the the former than the latter. Um, yeah, because you're not you're not giving up on that fish, are you? The fish is on there. Like if you know you don't have enough test line for whatever the fish is, you just keep doing whatever you can to bring it in. Like I wouldn't. Right. I mean, maybe if you're just out of gas and like, you're the only person on your boat or whatever, and you just you just can't do it. But I'm not sure where that uh, saying comes from. But sometimes you got to cut it like you if you get snagged on the bottom or whatever and there's just you try everything and you can't get it off and you just have to like ah screw it cut it right but maybe that's it i don't know okay all right but, good hey i'm excited we've got the schedule did it come out the way you thought like that they were going to do like a big 10ish no it did not at all come out the way i thought it would but it was one of the possibilities i'm kind of shocked that they did it so boldly and blatantly though which was essentially lining up as much as they possibly could who would be projected in the top half of the league, uh, the division, against the bottom half of the other division. So Hithliday actually did this perfectly well on Twitter, so I'm just going to blatantly steal from him. So if you line it up as the South being USC, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, UCLA in order, which does not seem too outlandish, right? Right. USC first, Arizona State second, so on and so forth. And then you line up the north. This is the one where I might have a few more complications, but generally you can see this happening except for one instance. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Oregon State, Cal, Wazoo. So obviously I would flip Cal, Stanford there at least, um, flip the three and five. But if you line those up, it's basically they're going opposite. USC against Wazoo, so that's one versus six. ASU versus Cal, which is, you know, if, if they've got a low opinion of Cal, that's 2-5. Oregon State versus Utah, which is 3-4. Stanford versus Colorado, which, again, I would have Stanford at 5, but that's 3-4. Washington, Arizona, which is 2-5 on the other end. And Oregon, UCLA, which is 1-6. So that's interesting. I yeah. think they power ranked this. I think there's I, a very good chance they did. I think you're right. The problem is... That they've giving Stanford, they were like looking at, well, who's one? Yeah, well, way Stanford's too much credit to Stanford. Way too much credit for Stanford. And yeah. uh, so Cal and ASU sort of get screwed a little bit. And Colorado and Stanford are the beneficiary here because Colorado has to go to, like Stanford's getting a home game in the crossover, which doesn't make any sense to me. But Colorado, like, yeah, well, they get it, to play it, Stanford. Yeah, you know? no, it sets Colorado up for a real chance if you now look at their schedule of three and three. Um, because they'll have the two South Patsies in Arizona and UCLA, and then potentially Stanford, which could again be a Patsy this year. Um, so Colorado might not be any great shakes, but the schedule makers gave them quite a benefit, I think, lining them up with Stanford. Um, yeah. But, you know, and I think they were, it seemed like they were relatively cognizant of home away. Um, Wilner seemed to think that angle played a big role in a lot of this, um, but it seems obvious to me that they at least. They at least protected um, the top teams, the teams that they thought were going to be the best, USC and Oregon. They protected them because UCLA did not have Oregon on the original schedule. Um, So adding them to it 
first, I think that reflects a low opinion of UCLA, but I think it was also getting Oregon a real patsy to play. And I tried to do a prediction myself, and I gave like some criteria for what I would do. And one of them that I came up with wasn't the case. And you just mentioned it. Oregon and UCLA weren't scheduled to play. USC and Washington State weren't scheduled to play. You saw instances where they had the 2.0 schedule, and I thought they would do what they could to take the you know, crossover game from that pool of games that already existed. And maybe, to the Pac-12's credit, by throwing out that criteria, you can say, well, then you're not going to have to play someplace like two years in a row. Um, you throw this, it'll be an odd year. You throw the, that game in. Uh, so the fact that UCLA's going to Oregon, um, you know, they won't have to do that next year. It's not like you're going to do it two years in a row where it could have happened in other instances. So I kind of like it. Uh, I think they did a good job. I thought they did a fine job with it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a good schedule. I think it sets up with some fun matchups. I mean, obviously it works from a power ranking standpoint, but also set up UCLA, Oregon like that. That's the kind of game that, you know, a national audience might tune in for Chip Kelly again, returning to Oregon third year in what's going on. Um, You know, that's a matchup with some, you know, in as much as any Pac-12 game is going to draw national eyeballs, that's relatively irrelevant from like a national, like UCLA is not going to be ranked, but still somebody who's not in the footprint might actually watch that game. Yeah. And then if you watched how the, if you didn't see this, how it was revealed. So we got the announcement we started hearing on Friday, it's going to come out Saturday and it was going to be on the pregame shows. And if you're watching them both, the Fox pregame show had a little preview. They had a little nugget that, ESPN didn't get because they announced November 7th, the big noon kickoff game would be the first time ever for the Pac-12, a 9 a.m. start with Arizona State coming to the Coliseum to take on USC. So that was sort of like the first nugget that came out. And then uh, I think ESPN actually had the rest of the schedule first while Fox was doing something else. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that opener first. I think you look at it on paper two of the top returning quarterbacks in the conference, because there's not a lot of returning quarterbacks anyway, but two of the top ones, a couple of young guns, um, two of the favorites, certainly in the Pac-12 South, the opportunity to, to be on a national stage. And even though you've been you know weeks behind some of these other programs, you come out there with a really big game to get everyone's attention, and you're playing it at 9 a.m. when there's no fans in the stand, so it's not really as much of an impact. Of course, the players are playing at 9 a.m., but not an impact on the game day experience because there's no fans there anyway. I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't know if I'd like it on a regular, you know, 2021 and beyond, but for 2020, you always say, let's get weird. Let's get weird. I'm kind of cool with this as the opening game. Exactly. No, let's get super weird. Let's try out all these like kind of crazy ideas that haven't been tried before. Um, See what a 9 a.m. West coast game looks like. See how many eyeballs you draw. Maybe it's suddenly, you know, maybe you suddenly get an East Coast audience for a game like that who don't really want to watch the trash Big Ten game that's on at 9 a.m., you know? So let's watch this instead. This is interesting. This is something I don't usually watch because it's going against, you know, the big SEC 1230 game or whatever. Um, so I think it could be really interesting. Um, and, yeah, you're right. No fans, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, the tailgating crowd, all that kind of stuff, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, I do think it'll be a bit of a test balloon, try a balloon and see if it works and see if it does draw more audience. And if it does, they'll probably try to do it again when they've got a full complement of fans in the stands. Um, but 
you know, I, I'm all for it right now. Um, saturate the day. Get as many games on throughout the day as you can. Space them out. Make it so you don't have to watch nearly as many concurrent games. Because, I mean, my issue uh, for most of the last four years has been I was on East Coast time, and I would be watching sometimes four games or trying to watch four games basically at once um, at whatever the time was, 10 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, so uh, getting them from, you know, 9 a.m. at a different time slot in there. I'm, I'm, uh, as I said, even, and maybe I was arguing from a selfish perspective, even when I was on East Coast time, I was like, I'm all for that um, for a regular season. I think I still am. Like, I think it's, it'd be interesting. Um, obviously there's the tailgating issue, but that's a, small subset of the fan base. Um, and frankly, I was a crazy tailgater at one time in my uh, early life. You'll get there at any time. Don't don't make noise like, or, oh, no, I'm not going to get up at 3 or 4 in the morning and go to the game. Yeah, you will. You're, you're going <laughs> to do it. You're going to get drunk at 6 in the morning. You're just going to do it because you, you probably do it anyway. I remember getting the Lot H at the Rose Bowl at, like, 2.30 in the morning and starting drinking then. Like, that happened. Because you used to be able to get there ten hours before game time. So come on, let's not, let's not, let's not, you know, pussyfoot about this. You're gonna do it. And there's some people that do it just to say that they did it. Like right. Well, that was the like, whole point. Yeah. So, anyway, I think it's I think it's an interesting idea. I think it'll be fun, and we'll see if it's something that they can carry forward to regular seasons. So crossover games, uh, we kind of got over just real quick. Washington State's going to be at USC. Arizona's going to be at Washington. So obviously one of the favorites, one of the bottom dwellers. California at ASU. That's the controversial one. Colorado at Stanford. UCLA will be at Oregon. And Oregon State will be at Utah. So those are the, the ones we didn't know. And we obviously know the uh, the full slate because you're playing all your division games. Um one of the other interesting aspects, David, is all the rivalry games will be week four, which is the November 27th, 28th weekend, or week six, uh, December 11th and December 12th. And of the six big rivalries uh, in the Pac-12, five of them are going to be played on a Friday. So week four, you got big game, or like you you, you put the article, the big game, but big game. The big uh, game, yeah. Friday night. Uh, Civil War, Oregon State, Oregon is on Friday night. Uh Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State is on uh, Friday night. And I think that's it. Yeah. And then week six, you have the Territorial Cup, Arizona, Arizona State. That's on Friday night. And only USC, UCLA will be on Saturday for the uh, rivalry. Now, some of these rivalry games were already played on Fridays anyway. But to have five of the six, it seems a little, that's a little aggressive, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of Friday. I think the big thing was that they wanted to allow for the possibility that all of these could get as much exposure as possible. And so I, I'm sure they were working pretty heavily with the networks to try to make sure that these will all be workable time slots. And I'm sure that required quite a bit more flexibility than they were, you know, maybe would have initially scheduled. But I'm fine with it. I, I'm fine with all of this. This is a weird year. I'm fine with watching a bunch of football on a Friday. It's cool. I'm, do- yeah. I'm down for it. And part of it, so we know six weeks, there's six games a week. Even Dave can do the math, 36 games. So I believe the reports I read were the tier one games between ESPN and Fox was in like the 45 game range, I believe, for a full season uh, or, early, or 42, something like that. 
Now you're getting 36 in with no Pac-12 network games. Apparently, they're all going to be part of this Tier 1 deal. So you're going to get closer to that $275 million payout. You're just putting all the games out there as possible. Like you said, David, Friday games, whatever you got to do. Week 1, no Friday games. Week 2, there's one. Uh, week 3, there's one. You got three more in uh, Week 4. Uh, another one in week five and then two more in uh, in week six. So there's a bunch of Friday games, but a lot of opportunity to be on the major networks and really helping these Pac-12 budgets to squeeze a seven-game schedule in and still have close to the you know same amount of tier one games, I think is a, a big deal financially for the conference. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing that's remaining unknown at this point is what that seventh game is going to be for every team that's not, you know, most likely USC and Oregon or ASU and Oregon. Um, so that'll be the kind of tricky test to see what they do with that final game. But that adds another, what, six games to the inventory that'll most likely be on national networks. That's true, too. Yeah, that, now potentially it could be a Pac-12 network game or two among those, but, um, you know, we'll see. The championship weekend, uh, I think it'll be fun. We also have, like, not a you know traditional rivalry or you know, geographic rivalry, but Oregon-Washington will also be Week six uh, played in Seattle. No bye weeks before that game. There, you know, there's no bye weeks throughout the whole thing. Um, anything else in the schedule sort of like stand out for you? Um, no, not particularly. I think it. Um, I, th- I think they did a nice job um, overall. I mean, I think um, setting it up, and especially if you've been paying attention nationally to what's been um, imploding. Uh, it's the Big Twelve. Uh, there is a path like if if Oregon or USC runs the table or ASU or whoever if whoever runs the table um and goes seven and oh I don't know you could see it like I could talk myself into it now that um Oklahoma has uh uh exploded um Texas has exploded um and you're left with like Oklahoma State but they never get through a full season so uh, Big 12 might already have knocked itself out. Um, so that, I mean, I, I think going back to my argument from, I think, last week or maybe the week before, I think this year more than any other year, they're going to want to be balanced in who gets in uh, to the playoff. And if the Big 12 has basically counted itself out with its garbage play so far, um, I think it sets up, and I think the schedule makers have set it up so that the what they perceive to be the top two teams in the league, pretty obviously Oregon and USC have relatively comfortable paths to the playoff, um, to an undefeated season. So I think they did a nice job of that. Um, and it seems like that was the goal. So, um, but other than that, no, I, I mean, I like the schedule. It looks good. It's going to be packed full of football. We don't have to worry about any bye weeks. We're going to have a lot to talk about, um, for seven straight weeks. And I am looking forward to it. You know, it's funny. You look at Washington State. Um, yeah, coaching turnover. Don't expect them to be uh, great this year. But who knows? The fact that they have Oregon, Washington, and Cal all at home—that's um, a pretty big deal. And then they, you know their road games are Oregon State, Stanford, and down to USC. You know, not an easy one getting USC draw. But having the top three teams, in my opinion, in the in the North all at home—that could be a little advantage there, at least for. Give Nick Rolovich a little bit of a chance. Well, the the thing, uh, the main thing I would say actually is just like kind of gaming out the schedule. If your opinion of USC is that they're going to be pretty good this year, 
you almost have to take them as the favorites because they don't have to deal with most of the Pac-12 North. So Oregon's going to have to play Cal, and they're going to have to play Washington. USC, like, they got to play ASU. They have to play Utah. But other than that, they get three more or less patsies in the South. No offense to Colorado, Arizona, or UCLA, just kind of the state of the programs right now. You know, and Durrell might turn it around to Colorado and Arizona, who knows. But as it stands, they've got three kind of patsy-ish. And I don't know, you got to kind of squint to find those in the North. Um, So USC's got an easier path uh, to... Um, a potential conference crown. Now, obviously, it's going to run through Oregon at some point or whoever does come out of the, the northern gauntlet, but the unbalanced schedule definitely does favor the South if they were similarly equitable in who they gifted the perceived top team, They and they were. They gave USC, Washington State, Oregon, UCLA, and I think UCLA and Washington State are probably on, you know, similar wavelengths this year. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if they were going for pure you know, similar paths, they probably would have given USC like a Cal instead of Washington state. Um, but they didn't. And so it's, uh, it certainly sets up for, um, whoever emerges from the South, if they are truly any good, which, you know, it's, it's a Clay Helton coach USC team. So who knows, but if they are truly any good, uh, for them to be undefeated going into the, um, the conference title game. Yeah. Uh, anything else on the schedule? You want to move on? Let's move. We have uh, some breaking news, David, with Arizona Wildcats. We had some requests that people want to play the uh, the drops. So, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Sublin? Yeah, the aware coach. of the man. Aware of the yeah. man. He's the, the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, he, he got the COVID. He got the Rona. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he said, I'm feeling well. And we'll be engaged in our ramp-up activities on a virtual basis until I complete the isolation protocol. I look forward to being back on the field. Um, yeah, apparently seemed asymptomatic, right, from what I've read. But uh, that but, was a little bit of a bomb dropped earlier today. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we wish him very well and hope that, um, you know, he, he recovers uh, very quickly. Um, and hopefully that doesn't speak to any kind of, um, you know, spread. Because I think they were... They were scheduled to what start on Friday practice, doing the full so, the full yeah. boat. Um, so hopefully, you know, he had been relatively isolated prior to. Um, I don't know what the status is of guys returning to campus and yada yada yada, but um, hopefully he had been relatively isolated, so it's not a sign of um, more pervasive spread uh, among the staff and team. But obviously, uh, not great. As of now, he still intends to participate in all the meetings and stuff virtually um i'm sure while he remains asymptomatic and not feeling too poorly but uh we wish him well he's you know he's 56 years old so he's you know not in a seriously at risk category but um certainly uh not 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 among the young folks who just completely shake it off so hopefully uh hopefully all turns out well for him we hope so yeah speedy recovery and uh, hopefully he's okay and it's not something that's a big issue for uh Everyone over there in Tucson. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, David, too, but the California finally uh, relaxed the cohort numbers for um, practicing. So up yeah, to so 70- they can actually have a season. Yeah, so seventy-five people outside. I think it's twenty-five inside, and that's contingent on daily testing. Um, and it's funny. So the Mountain West is starting a, two weeks earlier. It's a lot of has to do with the counties. So L.A. County, 
Santa Clara County and the city of Berkeley were basically just going along with what the state said. So, you know, Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA needed to wait on Gavin Newsom to relax uh, the restrictions on cohorts. But for the Mountain West, even though there's three teams in California, San Diego County had relaxed them, so they would be able to practice, in my understanding. Same with uh, for Fresno State. Um, the problem was San Jose State, and we talked we talk about them driving all the way up to Humboldt to practice. I think they still have to because the Mountain West doesn't have daily testing yet. It's like three days a week or something. So I think San Jose State is still going to have to practice out of Santa Clara County. The, the Easing the restrictions is based on if you have daily testing like the NFL does and now like the Pac-12 does. Yeah. Yeah. So all very good. Yeah. Uh, we had some opt-out issue, like opt-out news. Uh, Paul Sotodibo, I believe, opted out for Stanford. Yep. He's gone. So he's Happy a trails. stud. Uh, Stanford continues to lose guys. Uh, the Ducks sort of had a a swap. Uh, Brady Breeze. A swap, but it, your boy Bruce Feldman tweeted that there might be more good news coming for Oregon fans. So that makes me think that maybe Thomas Graham is deciding to come back. Potentially. And Hithliday sent us a DM just because so, people were the, – the narrative was, uh, you know, that – Oregon was losing all these guys, but uh, the Amador that, that Lenore, wasn't the narrative. That was up until Lenore returning. That was what three of their starters and five from their two deep. Is that right? Yeah, I think yeah. it was that. Hold on. So it's the uh, Oregon Ducks. So Lenore, like you mentioned, he's opting back in, and at the same time, Brady Breeze opted out. But Hifade sent us a two deep um, saying boundary corner, boundary safety, field safety, nickel safety, field corner. Uh, Graham and Holland were both starters, boundary corner and nickel safety. And then Breeze, he has as a backup to, at boundary safety. But everyone else is back. Uh, Lenore was the other field corner, uh, was the field corner. So, yeah, it would have been, it would have been, been more significant. But yeah, it would have been three starters and four of the four from the two deep. Yeah. Now it's um, just two starters. And potentially, so, if, if Feldman's uh, info bears out, maybe even just two total guys. Yeah. Um, and another DB, uh, Cameron Bynum, uh, told Bruce Feldman that he's coming back to play for the Bears. So uh, he's one of the, the top cornerbacks in the country, and he's returning. So Pac-12 got a couple guys back, uh, losing a couple guys, but a lot of uh, defensive back activity. I don't know why it's defensive backs, but that's uh, that's what's working right now. Well, and the silly thing is all these guys continuing to do it when they see all these other guys going out. It's like, wouldn't I don't know. Wouldn't you want to stick around then if you see all these other dudes going out and stocking your position with other talent? You know, if you're intending to get, like, drafted off of this? It would make sense to me, but... I don't know. Whatever. Kids got to do what they got to do. I mean, at places like Stanford, there might be a little bit more going on. Um, you yeah. know, there might be other reasons. Right. Uh, you know, for Oregon, if they see a path to potentially make the playoff and they're feeling a little more confident and... And, you know, a seven-game season isn't going to be the same sort of investment that it would be if it was a full, like, 12, 13, whatever game type of season. So maybe they come back and like, you know what? We're going to cram this in. We'll get some more tape, and we'll still be able to fully prepare for the NFL. Like, eh, you know, I get it. Like, that might be – the seven-game season might be more appealing to some of these guys. Yeah. The Paulson Adebo one is interesting to me because he had, um, he had a very good first year. Or was that his first year? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, but his second year, it was last year, was actually pretty disappointing. So, 
I don't know. I would have think he would have wanted to play and show a little bit better. But alas, alas. Yeah. Um, hey, do you get these releases from the Pac-12 in your email? Like, no. It's just maybe I do. All, all this classic stuff. Like, it's Pac-12 Network continues its trip down memory lanes with on this date football classics, and so like the fifth down game is going to be coming up soon. It's so weird because they're still sending out information about it, but there's like nothing live. Like the whole point of it, like there's nothing live. It's just, uh, it's just so weird. I'm, I'm really curious. Like we talked at the top of the show, what's going to happen with the Pac-12 networks? Because just right now, it's just not in a. Uh, it, it just it seems like it's not a good place. Yeah, it's probably going to go away, at least in its yeah. present form. Um, the other thing was like we got, like I got ganged up on Twitter a little bit. I had some fun with it, but. Uh, some of our regulars and me ex- and me and you. Yeah, yeah, you jumped in the expanded playoff debate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying, yeah, dude, let's play. Let's get like do eight. Get in there. And we talked about it last week. Larry Scott tried and uh, got shut down. But there's a lot of people that are like the the analytics people and stuff saying, oh, that's bad. You shouldn't want to just get killed by Alabama, blah, blah, blah. I just. To me, it just seemed like a, such a defeatist attitude. Like it was like no, loser no, no, mentality. No, no, no. But, but I thought the point that Hitler made in response to you, which is that yours is actually the defeatist attitude, which is essentially, uh, well, the Pac-12 can never get good enough to compete with these teams. So instead, let's change the entire system so the Pac-12 can get in. That's like an argument that UCF makes. That's not an argument the Pac-12 should be making. The argument the Pac-12, and this is, I think, the, the fairest depiction of the Pac-12, is it's been... A rough five years or so, Um, but if you go back and you just look at the last 20 years, if there had been a four-team playoff uh, starting in, like, 2000, you would have had 2001, Pac-12 makes the playoff with, what was it, Oregon, I think, or Washington, one of the two. Uh, 2002, USC probably makes it there at the end of the year. Uh, And then for the next six years, USC makes the playoff every single year, every year single USC team that entire span of time makes the playoff. And then starting in 2009, you've got probably three of the next Oregon teams all make the playoff, including one year where Stanford also makes the playoff, maybe makes it twice. And then in 2016, you get Washington. But it's been a it's been a rough five years. Basically, once the playoff system started, that coincided with the Pac-12 having one of its worst periods ever. And that's unfortunate but the reality is that if you go back to the last 20 years, there wouldn't have been too many doldrums like that. It's just, it's been a bad circumstantial time. But changing the entire system just to make it so that uh, unworthy Pac-12 team can make it in and just get pantsed, absolutely destroyed by one of these teams, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I get it, like, I get, like, from a fair and equitable standpoint, but that's an argument for... UCF wanting to get in, for Boise State wanting to get in. It's not an argument for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has never had a deserving team miss the playoff. They haven't had deserving teams. That's the real issue. They haven't had deserving teams with the current format, and you act like that format's been no, no, around no, but, for 100 years. But the years. thing is, what you would be talking about is a conference title winner making the playoff. Yes. Which does not necessarily denote a deserving team. There was a year where I think it was, what was it, 9-3 and three ASU made the conference title game? Would that have been a yeah, deserving? Yeah, there's going to be some weird stuff in there. Yeah, but, but like if they had beaten Stanford that year, would that have been a deserving playoff team? But when you have 
there's there's we don't have equity in college football right now. And I get it. There's teams that have certainly not been deserving. But I want to see. I have the American, you know, go go to go get them attitude. I want to see you have an opportunity to win the game. You get that half court shot. They do. Shot they, they do the, have an opportunity to shot, win the game. You know, for if tuition. they have good seasons. Are you gonna? You know, you're necessarily gonna nail that shot. No, but you got a shot. I'd rather they, be that no, kid. No, but they do. Half they do have a shot over the course of a 12 like game season at half court and do, to win that tuition. That's what I want to see. But the problem in college football is there's four spots. And you got five conferences and Notre Dame and the whole group of five. And when you have the ACC and the SEC only playing eight conference games and the Pac-12 playing nine and, you know, usually playing with one hand tied behind your back because the competitive disadvantage that your conference commissioner would put you in before they realize that was actually a thing. I get it. You start from the beginning and things are on even ground. That's fine. But. The way it's gone, it's been su- it's been slanted against the Pac-12, and I get that you haven't had the elite teams, but there have been some teams that have stumbled in other conferences and given a chance. And I would like to see the Pac-12 at least have that chance. The five years the Pac-12 missed the playoff, are you telling me that not one of those teams could have made some sort of run? We see teams get hot. We've seen teams play well at the end of the season, and if you get what if you got a championship out of that one of those years? That changes the entire perception of the Pac-12 if some team snuck in, won three games, and won it all. You know, you remember Arizona in basketball that year they beat three number one seeds on the way to the championship? Like, that's great. You know, you want to see – it's not the same, football and basketball, but I at least want to have a chance. You want to have – you know, you're not well, even getting is, up but to that's the a different. that's a different argument. If you're arguing that it would be more, I don't know, random and fun – to see a tournament style thing going on yeah shit expand it to 16 teams i don't care um but if you're talking about like crowning a winner which is i think the main the main thing that has been driving the discussion about uh everything from the beginning of ap voting all the way through the bcs into the playoff has been how do we arrive at in this disparate system where there are so many different teams that are different leagues with different equities involved, all this different stuff? How do you crown a true winner? And they did the whole computerized system. Then they're like, no, that's no good. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they've settled on this playoff. But the goal is to crown a true winner, the true best team in college football. That's what they're trying to do. And frankly, they've done a pretty good job of it, even actually going back to the BCS era, like if we're being totally honest. Um, but it's, that's been the goal. It's not been like the NCAA tournament type deal, which is, it's a crapshoot. Like it really is. It's a 64 team tournament. And sometimes, I mean, more than likely you're going to end up with one of the top four seeds as the winner, but, uh, there's a real crapshoot element to it, which is why you end up with 11 seeds in the final four. And that's not to say that's not fun, but it's a different deal. Um, it's not, it's not this system where they are very much trying to crown the most deserving team. And if that's the goal, this system has done a really good job of it so far. And what you were talking about as, okay, you want to give them at least a shot. Again, that's an argument for UCF. That's an argument for a 13-0 UCF that that was shut out of the playoff. It is not an argument for the Pac-12 where any deserving team from the Pac-12, meaning any team that actually accomplished its shots that actually did the things it needed to do to make the playoff has been shut out of the playoff. None of them have. So they get their shot. Their shot is 
Get through the season without losing stupidly to ASU. Get through the season without getting your ass handed to you in the championship game by Oregon by 22 points. Get through the season doing one of those things. Utah was going to be a playoff team if they beat Oregon last year. That was going to happen. That was that was on deck to happen, and that was a one-loss Utah team. If a one-loss Utah team is on the doorstep of the playoff, as long as they don't get their doors blown off by friggin' Oregon, uh, then the Pac-12 doesn't really have an argument for, oh, we are, we're, getting, we're getting short shrift here. No, they just haven't had good enough teams. If Utah had been a little bit better and they'd been able to beat Oregon, they would have been in the playoff. The Pac-12, if they were just better, if they were just, you know, in any given year, were just a little bit better, they would make the playoff. And if you go back again 20 years, there have been many instances where the Pac-12 has produced those kinds of programs and teams. It's not going to take that much more. Oregon is almost there. Washington has pretty consistently been on the doorstep. They made it in one year, but they've been pretty consistently on the doorstep. USC is one Clay Helton away from being that program again. True. Uh, UCLA is one time-traveling trip back to 1984 from being that program again. Like, <laughs> these things can happen. They're all in the realm of immediate possibility. So I don't, I just don't buy the argument that the system needs to be changed for the Pac-12 to have a shot. It doesn't. What needs to change is the Pac-12 needs to suddenly get better at football again, which they can do. I would like to see the system change, not just for the Pac-12, but I would like to see it's just the numbers. It's like square peg round hole. You got five conferences, four spots. There's going to be controversy, whatever. You want to see chaos in 2020. This would have been the perfect year to do it one time. Let's do it one time. Try it. See if it sticks. See if it works. Does it? Is it great? Are the TV ratings better? Does it work there? The problem I have, though, David, for changing it for in favor of the Pac-12 would be the perception that the Pac-12 isn't a quality conference right now, I think is going to hurt a deserving team if there is one in the next couple of years. And with the disadvantages that the Pac-12 has playing that extra conference game, and I know those guys up north are going to argue about that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, look, we're going to see that the SEC play all these games, extra conference games. There's going to be some carnage there. There's extra carnage when you play an extra conference game, even though the conference skewed it so like the you know Alabama's of the world and Georgia's of the world wouldn't get an extra hard game. There's still extra conference games. There is a disadvantage to having nine versus eight. I'd like to see that evened out. And in the meantime, if you can't do that, having expanded so at least everyone gets in, then you can't say, well, Alabama had an advantage because they only play eight conference games over Oregon. They're both in and let them play each other and see what happens. But just for this year, this is the chaos year, David. You want the 9 a.m. games? Why don't we just have eight teams for this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all for a chaos year. Do whatever the hell you want. I would just uh, bone of contention with the eight versus nine thing. And I know I'm. Uh, this is another one where I've kind of evolved based off of arguments that have been presented to me. But the SEC, there's a there's a good advanced stats argument that if the SEC played nine conference games, guess what? There'd be three SEC teams in the playoff because their strength of schedule would be boosted, you know, because they would be playing tougher opponents and they would get that boost from it. The equity thing that's happening right now is that they play a patsy, which actually knocks them down a little bit. It knocks down the perception because if you have Alabama running through a nine game SEC schedule and you got LSU running through a nine game SEC schedule and Georgia doing the same, um, it's just going to end up where they've got. Um, absurdly high um, ratings by all these systems. And that's not to say that those are the only systems that the College Football Playoff Committee uses when they're determining um, 
you know, who makes it and who doesn't. But it seems clear to me that based off of who they have selected um, over the years, that they are at least paying attention to analytic systems. So it behooves you, I think, to consider that when you're making arguments for nine versus eight. Um, So I would like it if everyone played a nine game schedule, but I would also like it if the leagues were a little bit more equal. And frankly, the SEC is just a fundamentally better league than basically everyone else right now. Yeah, and, and that's what, like, the Andrews, and they would argue, like, that's going to make their strength of schedule. It's like, whatever. There's going to be extra losses there. There's not going to be as many bowl teams because you can't go 2-6 and six in conference and 4-0 and oh out of conference and make a bowl game. So I think there's that aspect of it when you can line up. You can line up the analytics and stuff, but you also line up, Alabama played 18 bowl teams and all that crap. Like, there's – and there's a perception of, are you really want three teams in? Like, there's – Two, you can stomach, but humanly, you're not going to say let these three teams go in because they get an extra percentage point because they played a ninth conference game. I just okay, think so need Bama, to make it Bama beats LSU by three en route to an undefeated season, right? Okay. And LSU, uh, yeah, Bama beats LSU by three, and then LSU has one loss, and then Georgia gets through the East with no losses, and then they lose to Alabama in the championship game. Those three SEC teams are making it even in an eight game world, but in a nine game world, they a hundred percent are. Well, I think it's a lot harder to do in nine game world, but also like it, if Ohio state's undefeated, like the third place team in the sec is not getting in over them, you know? And that's, you know, yeah, even if the USC is undefeated. Yeah. I don't, I'm, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Um, and I think there is nuance on both sides. Cause I do, I, I do agree that there is some, there's some eye test value to just having the extra losses going around. Like, just from a pure record standpoint, I think there is still an element where they look at it and say, okay, who's undefeated? That's probably one of the first things they're looking at. Um, and I, I still think there is some reality to some of these people just being, you know, meat-heady football types who are just like, okay, well, who, you know, who's undefeated? Who has one loss? Um but I do think there is an analytics argument that does play into the decision. So I think it's, you know, it's a give and take. But I don't think it's just hard and fast. Everyone should be playing a nine-game conference schedule. Um, I think you can make the argument that they should be. But I don't know that it's a, a definitive yes or no. Um, yeah. Because it is, you know, there there's a reason on both sides. There's a reason to keep them at eight because of the strength of schedule issues. And there's a reason to go to nine because it is nine more losses thrown around. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, well, it should that should stir up some tweets from our our peoples and uh, them telling me most well, of my most more of the, losses. Man, my math is bad. What'd you say? Isn't it fourteen more losses? No, man, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done trying to do math. I'm done trying to figure out schedules. Whatever, don't worry about it. Keep going. Yeah. Just talk. I think it'll be seven more, but that's yeah. yeah I, d- oh. I know, I know. I got there too, and I'm like, I'm not going to throw out another number. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Was there anything else you, uh, we had before we, no, no, just get me out of this segment. Okay. So I want to let everyone know about my bookie, uh, between the NFL college football, major league baseball playoffs. There's no shortage of games to watch thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events. You can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. You can bet a couple of the games. Um, you get a big payout by getting them all right. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn an ordinary bet into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They do have a ton of value. Think about the NFL. Anyone can win every week. So you got to look at the underdogs. They really have a chance to win. And then you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, 
player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. So sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code PAC12, that's PAC12, to claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. So if you put in 500 bucks, you get an extra 500 bucks just by putting in the promo code PAC12. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. Promo code PAC12 for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. There's stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and more. Of course, the Pac-12 is coming back, too. Sign up today. Begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and answer your questions. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David Ryan, Woods. Great to hear from you again. It's good to hear from you. I hope you had a good break. I did. I did. I took the kids uh, uh, to Greece, actually. You did? Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty aggressive. Yeah, well, especially since there's a travel restriction for all Americans. And the quarantine there? Country, did you quarantine yeah. for like two weeks? Yeah, I just, I, I actually rode a boat over there. <laughs> so it Brilliant. was, it was. I mean, the quarantine was on the boat. Nice. You know? um, well, we're going to do this segment. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. Yes, missed that drop. Uh, we got a few questions this week. Um, would you like to start or do you want me to start? I'd love to start. It's with our okay. man Hithlidae, correct? Yes, it is. Ad damnum is the subject line, which is a Latin phrase meaning according to the harm or appropriate to the harm. There's an interesting debate among advanced statisticians about whether penalties in football actually matter to the outcomes of games. There are a bunch of confounding variables, and it suffers from the imprecision of data gathering. There is no clearinghouse for offensive versus defensive penalties, major versus minor, expected versus actual performance, etc. So we tend to default to crude abstractions, and it's a link to something that I'm not going to click on. Uh, Below is a list of Pac-12 schools' penalties per game for the 2018 and 2019 seasons combined. There was only one head coaching change in the 2019 offseason at Colorado. Otherwise, this list could also be read as an evaluation of Pac-12 coaches, including the two outgoing ones from the state of Washington. It's not exactly the order I would rank the overall quality of Pac-12 coaches, but it's pretty close, isn't it? Do you think this is meaningful or just a coincidence? All right, let me read them off. So this is in order from fewest penalties per game to most penalties per game. So Cal, 
Justin Wilcox, Washington, Chris Peterson, Oregon, Mario Cristobal, Stanford, uh, David Shaw, Oregon State, Jonathan Smith, uh, Utah, Kyle Whittingham, Arizona State, Herm Edwards, Colorado, Mel Tucker, uh, and then Carl Durrell, uh, Wazoo, Mike Leach, and now Nick Rolovich, UCLA, Chip Kelly, Arizona, Kevin Sumlin, and USC, our man, Clay Helton. Uh, and then he says, P.S., penalty yards per game is basically identical, except UCLA jumps up three ranks, and that can't be right, which I agree with. Um, yeah, I mean, it does look like a close enough approximation of the um, relative quality of the coaches. Uh, I would have Wazoo probably a little bit higher, but, um, you know, Leach has some, I would say, blind spots in his, uh, I think that's probably the best way to put it, blind spots in his coaching resume. I think it's, yeah, I think it was on display actually this weekend when fresh off of beating LSU, they were uh, trash on the field. Um, but, uh, you know, special teams have been a blind spot for him. Penalties may very well be as well. Um, but these other, you know, these top half schools, I would say all have quality coaches and the bottom half schools, um, you know, the jury's a little bit more out. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, somewhat. Like, so this is for uh, 2018 and 2019. So it wouldn't be the new coaches. So it would, you know, like, uh, it would be uh, McIntyre and Mel Tucker for Colorado, for example. But like for Washington State, that's all. Both seasons are Mike Leach. Um, I think there's a. It's a pretty good correlation to coach quality if you were going to rank coach quality. But when I'm looking at the top, it's. You know, is Justin Wilcox like the highest quality coach? No, no but he's but top half. He's top half. I would say there's a style of play element to this too, where there's like the toughness, the, you know, what is Cal more of a defensive, uh, you know, run the ball kind of program. And Washington was, you know, like that a little bit. Oregon, you know, coached by an offensive line guy. Um, Stanford, you know, known that for a while. That's just kind of their MO. Is Some of it to me is also the style of, play um i mean i wouldn't put david shaw as a top four coach right now in the conference but um i think i think it's a pretty good combination but the fact that it worked out that way where who are the better coaches who are the the worst coaches you're like yeah that you know kevin Sumlin being on the hot seat them being last i I think that kind of uh kind of makes sense you know what i'd like to see here today i want to put you to this task is there something uh, and i'm not googling this or anything but is there something like penalties forced um, and I, I, I wonder, and it's just kind of a lark, but I wonder if there are teams or programs or coaches or whatever that are better coaching their players to cause penalties, you know, the receivers who are really good at flailing about, you know, is that coached, um, you know, and it is it, basically are there coaches who are just particularly good at forcing it? Because I would love to see like a net penalty yards or a net penalty rating and see if that correlates at all as well. Like what penalties forced versus the penalties against yardage forced yardage against, and see if that you know correlates over the course of years, um, you know. And I would I would just be interested in that because um, maybe there is some element where, you know, because we look at free throws forced in basketball and that sort of thing, you know, fouls forced um, as a you know basically a, a look at you know player aggression, particularly when they're getting in the paint. And I wonder if there's anything similar for for football. That's interesting. And also, like, when you look at it, programs that come from more talent-laden areas that are sort of maybe not coached as well, which you could still argue is, like, the same thing, um, but have more talent. Like, even the Pete Carroll years for USC, there was a lot more talent there, but their penalty numbers were always 
pretty high. You know, you think of UCLA having a bunch of, of guys. Um, you know, I'd be curious if that, like, talent versus talent development, how that works. You know, something like along those lines. Well, and you also have to you, you have to control it for plays, too. Um, I think it's become a little bit more even over the years. But I think especially during the early Chip Kelly days at Oregon, um, tempo and, and the sheer number of plays that would be happening uh, led to higher you know, mass penalty totals on a per game basis. But if you drop it down to per play, it becomes a little bit of a different story. Ah, yeah, that'd be interesting too. Um, yeah, like where if Wazoo's running, you know, 100 plays a game, are they going to have a, you know, a few more penalties? Would they be, you know, per whatever penalties per play or whatever, like would they be higher on this well, list? Well, because that was always the knock on those early Mora teams. And not that those were disciplined teams at UCLA, but. Um, they were also, they were running a ton of plays. Um, that Mazzoni offense was running like 80 plus plays a game. So it ended up, it ended up looking a little bit worse in the mass volume than it otherwise would have been if it was on a per play basis. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks Hitler day for that one. It was more a good Pokemon, uh, more Pokemon to post on the blog here. Oh yeah. So we'll have to, uh, have to do that. Um, Jason sent him back in. So he's simming week three. And week four, uh, something's not right here. He's got, oh, maybe there's buys or something. I don't know, man. He's got like Washington at three and oh, they must, he must have done that. Or maybe they, wait, I don't think Washington played or something, but, uh, oh, maybe he's using the original schedule or something, but yeah, we don't need to dig into that too much. If, is anyone enjoying the Pokemon on the blog? Hopefully you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they are. David, and I have no freaking clue. All right, Chris from Seoul. So which one? So happy the team previews start soon. What an so interesting way of writing previews. Yes, it sort of confused me. Uh, previews <laughs> with a dash in there. Uh, so miss this. the sound drops. Absolutely can't wait. So, uh, yeah, we'll do a bunch of sound drops. Uh, commiserations for David being forced to enjoy SEC football as a Mississippi State fan <laughs> while he waits for the Pac-12 season. Well, uh, I got over that one pretty quick this past weekend. Yeah, they end up losing. Uh, th- did you watch? Did how did KJ Costello look? Like, what was going on there? Um, it was just you know w- when the Mike Leach offense doesn't quite look right. You know, we've seen it over the years at uh, at um, at Washington State, but you know it's just when things don't quite hit quite right, and it just looks bad suddenly. Um, Costello was not great. Um, he was I. Th- think through three picks i want to say three picks yeah i think it was three um but it's just you know sometimes that thing just doesn't look very good there were like some of the stuff he said after the game is like we're we haven't hit our stride yet or something like he just threw for 620 yards like just say yeah we played damn good you know yeah <laughs> uh you're not going to be doing that again but all right we'll yeah. see uh, he said now that i think about it dave's physical appearance does kind of fit the bulldog poster pro uh, booster profile uh Working knowledge of Disney princesses and MSU academic eligibility are also roughly equivalent. David, do you own a set of cowbells or simply enjoy their sound? Uh, I do not own. The Clang the Clang's pretty good. I'm into you like it. The, you like the club, the cowbell clanging? Yeah, all we need is more cowbell, right? Yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty good. Uh, to help David improve his COVID narrative and predictions, he might consider reading... Philip uh, Tetlock. I just got whiplash from that non-transition there. There was no transition. Super forecasting, the art of science and prediction. The art See? and science of I'm prediction. Sorry. 
It's both an art and a science, according to Phil Tutlock. Yes. Seems Woods is well qualified as better amateurs trounce the experts in their forecasting ability. It goes without saying Ryan is equally positioned to improve his game result predictions. So Tetlock found the top 1% of amateur predictors are set apart by a willingness to change their minds. This inclination to update their beliefs in the presence of new information is a trait that is roughly three times as powerful as a predictor of forecasting accurately or accuracy as someone's intelligence. Uh, discard your confirmation bias, David. Join the 1%. If, if we remember, I would like to draw everyone's attention to uh, Chris from Seoul. He's the one who was likening Korea's uh, COVID outbreak, where I think they had 8,000 total cases, to uh, the United States, where I think we are, what, well north of a million now? Yeah, we got a few. Yeah, so if anyone here has potential confirmation bias, I don't know, man. I don't know. Chris is, Chris is there. Consult the moat in thine own eye. All right. Well, he wants to know, uh, so he's got some questions. Uh, which one will be missed more, Mike Leach's interviews or Mel Tucker's shorts? The, the shorts, 100% the shorts. That was that was a great look. And it I'm, was a great I'm, look. I'm upset that it did not inspire more shorts wearing in the Pac-12. He had some impressive legs. Uh, it just looked different to see him walking the sidelines like that. Yeah. But I'm really going to miss Mike Leach's interviews. No, you, but, still I mean, we, you still have them. We still get them, that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter if they're relevant to you or not. You're still going to listen to them and be like, oh, that guy said something absurd. Yeah. And, and there's potential really that watch. he says, and there's potential for like an interesting factor that he says something truly problematic now that he's in the South. True, like, he, and like he already did, sort of. <laughs> he's done that. Uh, and we're not going to see as much Michigan State football, I would guess. So we probably won't see as many. No, and he Mel probably Tucker won't shorts. be wearing too many shorts on the Michigan State sideline. I think he's still going to. You think he's going to do it? Uh, that So I would watch that. Like, yeah, I would watch snowing. him just be cold. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, yeah. Colorado, just fans, Colorado fans would love watching him be cold. Cold yeah. on the sideline. Like, oh, I'm tough. Okay, number two. Which one of the Pac-12 teams is least likely to play all seven games in 2020? I'll play the odds. Utah. Or one of the be Arizonas. Because of the openness? Yeah, because they're more likely to have a big outbreak, I would think. Okay. Yeah? I'm going to go Stanford because... Oh, because of the Santa Clara restrictions. Santa Clara and, like, you feel like one guy gets it and they could potentially shut it down. Because it feels like they're being dragged kicking and screaming into yes. the season. They're, they're <laughs> like, least like, like, they really don't seem to want to be there. Yeah. Um, okay, I like that. I like that. I'll go with Stanford, too. Okay. Because <laughs> they will take the first opportunity to bow out. They'll be like, sorry, no, uh, no, actually, no COVID cases. One guy stubbed his toe, and we're just, we're not feeling it. Sorry. Yeah, we we don't, we don't want to get treatment because he could get COVID, so we're yeah, out. We're out. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, which one is more improbable this season? No Pac-12 head coaches coach loses his job, or one or more than one Pac-12 coach bolts to a better job. This is a lot of double negatives. Which one is yeah. more improbable this season? Let's just say which whatever. What's what's more likely? The more know. likely one is that uh, no Pac-12 head coach loses his job. I don't think they're going to do that on a seven-game year. I don't think anybody's going to do it. You could say like a Kevin Sumlin, maybe. Not but... really. I, I really can't. I, I don't think they're going to make too many decisions off of a weird seven-game year. But if you go like 0-7. Oh like well, also, be... think about the financial element. 
they're not going right. to have money in these affect departments to make big financial plays, you know, to fire some guy, pay a buyout, and then bring in somebody else. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. The only one that I'm thinking right now could be potentially Arizona, like if it's a really awful year. Like even if USC has an awful year, I don't think they can afford to get rid of Helton because he's got this huge contract. I'm not as familiar with Sumlin's, but, you know, they were thinking about – if you were thinking about it last year and then you have like a real crappy – like, you know, you go start off 0-6 or something, oof, yeah. maybe they make a change. I don't know. But, yeah, I would say someone goes to a, a better job, but I'm not sure who that would be at that point. this point. Right. Uh, for which one of the Pac-12 backup quarterbacks will have the best SEC season? KJ Costello or JT Daniels will either end up as a top SEC QB. I'll Daniels not playing. Cost- I'd go KJ Costello. <laughs> yeah, Daniels didn't get the play. He's cleared. But he didn't play. And Stenson Bennett, who was a former walk-on and went to a JC, he looked pretty good from what I saw. So, I don't know. I think Daniel's not being, like, fully medically cleared even by the opener of a late kickoff season. That's a little bit of a problem. He's just not going to have been able to work with those other guys. So, we'll see if he, we play more, they play him more or play him at all. But, yeah, but as of now, it's Costello by default. Yeah, he's. I mean, Costello was SEC Player of the Week one year. So, hell, yeah. Uh, and then five, which is more likely one or more of the Pac-12 teams finishes ahead of the podcast's adopted BYU Cougars in the final AP poll or the college football playoff winner comes from the SEC. One Ooh. or more of the Pac-12 teams finishes ahead of okay. BYU. Mm-hmm. I got to go playoff winner comes from the SEC, right? Yeah, I think... I mean, Florida looks good. Georgia looks good. Alabama looks really good. Here's what I would uh, say. I think both are pretty likely. Like, I think BYU looks really damn good. Um, but I think there's going to be respect for the Pac-12. And I think in a seven-game year, and especially with Oregon potentially getting a little bit stronger now with um, Lenore coming back and maybe we'll see somebody else. Uh, if that all happens, then I think Oregon's, you know, looking a little bit, less flawed than they looked a couple of weeks ago they could emerge unscathed as the you know undefeated pac-12 champ and and make the playoff ahead of a byu which would almost necessarily entail being ahead of them the ap poll yeah well yeah we'll see i i may agree i think it's likely that the sec wins the title this year um but byu's schedule is not great right no it's not so Oregon or whatever, like USC, someone that does well, I think they would be ahead of BYU, just sort of by default. So both seem very likely to me. But he yeah. says, all the best. Stay safe. Chris from Seoul. Yeah. So BYU, just as a heads up for everyone, they've played Navy, they've played Troy, and they've played uh, Louisiana Tech, crushed them all. And they look really good. Like, this is not to take anything away from BYU. And then they have UTSA, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, uh, North Alabama and San Diego State. So Boise State and San Diego State bring it up a little bit, but the rest of that schedule is pretty poo-poo. Uh, Houston, obviously, somewhat of an expe- exception. But if Oregon runs through the Pac-12 or if USC runs through the Pac-12, I think they'll be they'll be ahead of them. Yeah, I would say that too. Even if BYU finishes undefeated, which isn't necessarily going to happen. Right. All right. Uh, so last one, right? Yeah, it looks like last one. All right, this is from our man Thomas. Schedule suggestions. Hey, guys. Now that the big schedule reveal is behind us, something dawned on me. It seems the conference shouldn't stop randomly assigning crossover opponents. Instead, the Pac-12 should adopt an eight-game conference slate on one condition. 
Each team would have a permanent non-conference opponent similar to what Stanford and USC do with Notre Dame. Here's my thinking. A big reason for the current nine-game conference schedule is that it's difficult for most Pac-12 programs to draw as many spectators for a non-con contest as opposed to a league one. Permanent crossovers could solve the problem as a sort of ongoing rivalry would help build inelastic demand for people to attend. And And for the schools themselves, it makes sense as the higher attendance a crossover game has, the more money the program will keep. A permanent crossover helps build the Pac-12's collective resume for strength of schedule. Part of this is accomplished by competing in other parts of the country, including other recruiting hotbeds. Similarly, playing outside the footprint also opens up not only the broadcast visibility of the Pac-12 on the East Coast generally, as well as freeing up earlier TV time slots. These scheduling considerations are hardly new, of course, but at least work in the strategy's favor. It would help Stanford, USC, and Notre Dame. Now, you might wonder why this would be good for the Pac-12 as a whole, but the ability of Notre Dame to play at least one game each year on the West Coast is a significant reason the school has remained independent, and that independence is actually a crucial reason for the college football postseason to include as many teams as it does. I'm curious to know what you think about this idea, knowing that it may indeed not be realistic. It would also be interesting to know who you both think would be ideal crossover opponents for each school. BYU is the obvious choice for Utah, as is Nebraska for Colorado, but for the rest of the conference, I think it's a good question. Keep up the five-star work, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Um, so when he's talking about crossover, he's talking about out of conference, so it's not really the crossover we usually talk about, like divisions playing each other. Yeah, that's uh, the way I was originally reading it until we got to about three-quarters of the way through the email. Right. So it's really about a permanent out of conference uh, opponent, which... I think it makes sense for some te- like BYU and Utah already play, right? Like they're already doing that. More or less. They weren't for a little while, I think. Um, or Utah's constantly wanting to drop it. One or the other. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're UCLA, do you like being able to have a home and home with Michigan and then a home and home with uh, Texas or something? Like, I kind of like that you can open well, yeah, things up. What Thomas is saying is you drop the ninth conference game, but only if you're doing it by adding a permanent non-conference to somebody else. But that still leaves your three other non-conference options. Oh, okay. So it would be like, you know, how USC, they'll play Notre Dame every single year, but they also will play Texas, too, or Alabama, or whatever. Um, it's kind of that idea. And, I mean, to make, like... But to do that, though, like for, for a nine-game conference schedule, it sort of makes sense if you do the 10th because it's almost like you have a – so if Stanford has Notre Dame every year. If they have four home games uh, in conference, then Notre Dame will be at home. So they'll get their fifth game and vice versa. USC does the same thing. Um, but for an eight-game conference schedule, I don't know if you need a ninth for that, a permanent crossover. Uh, if it makes sense – for like some kind of rivalry or something, but you don't always want to be going to the same place. Like for Utah, you don't really get any more exposure. You're playing in your, your own state, you know? Um, so I, I would rather see like you, you want Washington state to play like Iowa state every year or something. Or I, I'd rather them go, you know, schedule a home and home with like an sec team one year. And uh, you know, they're going to play some local games, you know, they're going to play Eastern Washington or something like that. But I don't know. I, to me, it's like, eh, like if it was a traditional rivalry that's gone on for, for centuries or whatever, for decades, like, okay, but I don't know if you're going to be able to create that and get someone to actually go along with it and what, if it really be that big of a benefit. I don't know. What, what do you think? I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, kind of turned off by it right I'm now. I'm turned off by it. Um, I think it requires um, 
history um at some level um you know the reason notre dame does it is because of the history not because i mean yeah it's because they get to go to the west coast but it's also just the history of it um uh most pac-12 schools don't have that kind of long-standing history with you know other schools now obviously colorado nebraska that's different utah byu that's different but the reason you could name those is because those are obviously different um uh, UCLA has no natural rivals outside of the, the conference, um, in football at least. In basketball, they do have, you know, they do have a, or they did have a longstanding series with Notre Dame because there was history there. Um, and, you know, they'll play Kentucky and they'll play North Carolina very frequently because there is, you know, some acknowledgement that those are, you know, blue bloods that play each other frequently. Um, but for the most part, it's your conference opponents um, in football. Um, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there are natural out-of-conference opponents for a lot of these other schools. What makes sense, to Ryan's point, is to continuously play, you know, similar situated schools in other leagues and do that pretty often. You know, what Washington and Oregon were intending to do this year, playing Ohio State and well, Washington and Michigan, right? Yeah. Um, doing that. UCLA playing Texas. UCLA playing Oklahoma. That's really cool. Uh, ASU and Arizona going out of conference into Texas and playing a whole variety of Texan teams. That's really cool. Um, when LSU went up to Oregon and Oregon went to LSU back in the Chip Kelly days, that was a lot of fun. Um, just doing that stuff. Um, so I don't think you require permanent out of conference things. Now, having a relationship with another league where you're doing, you know, I think there was talk a few years back of doing the Big Ten, Pac-12 kind of link up during the season and doing some kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, having them all match up at once in a single season. Um, you know, there was talk of doing something like that, but do that, you know, on a rotating basis with all the different leagues. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but no, I don't, I don't see any reason to do a permanent standing opponent. I think that would get boring. Um, I think it makes sense for USC and Notre Dame cause you can get hyped for that game, but Washington state playing Iowa state, as you, you know, pointed out, like who's getting excited about that one after the first time it happens. Yeah. Nobody. Uh, who's getting excited about uh, Oregon State playing Purdue, you know, more than once? It's just not not something you get super pumped about. So we're I think we're on the same page, but let's try to make it exciting. Let's honor his request and try to pick what would be a cool, if you had to do it, who would be cool? Um, I yeah. think like, like Washington State, Texas Tech, like would that be kind of cool? That be a, that would have been a lot of just as as uh, pre Mike Leach or, or post Mike Leach teams. Yeah, I yeah. think that would be kind of fun. So there'd be a little history there. I'm in for it. Um, I liked what Washington had on the schedule this year. They take on Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Every I think year. Washington, Michigan's pretty good. I think. Uh, yeah. Like a power, but not quite the top of the league, but tradition, and I think those that, that matches up well, and along with. Oregon, Ohio State. That would be kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Um, I, I would take Oregon, Ohio State. Maybe Oregon, LSU. That'd be a lot of fun, too. Um, just because yeah. I remembered that, and that was kind of cool. Um, I'm, I'm in for Oregon, Ohio State, though. Let's do that. Um, Oregon State? Um, what would be a good... Trying to think, like Oregon State, West Virginia. I was. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, how weird is that? That would be kind of fun. Just a sort of like remote-ish kind yeah, of. Yeah, remote-ish. Got to kind of chip on their shoulder about it. 
but some uh, fun obviously but some fun, fun. Yeah, yeah i think that'd be a lot of fun uh okay stanford's got i guess notre dame is that what we're just saying for stanford probably just yeah stanford notre dame all right cal uh, cal cal north carolina they just did that but that seems right cal virginia cal virginia i was thinking maybe even like wisconsin or something no wisconsin's too good okay cal, it's got to be some like really good academic institution that's always kind of disappointing in football uh so vanderbilt's just not good like cal's way better than vanderbilt um i think it's virginia okay i think cal I like virginia that. um usc's got notre dame ucla oh where do you want to go with this god Damn, Texas. 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 I, exactly what I was going to say. That's Texas. So it's one hundred percent Texas, especially okay. in the last decade. Uh, um, that's yeah. It's, it's like right on the tip of my tongue. Like te- you're like Texas. Like that's hilarious that we care about the same school. Yep. Uh, Arizona. Ooh. Okay. Kansas. Um, Baylor. Now they're too good. Uh, Arizona. Kansas. Talk to me about Arizona. Kansas. Ooh. You get the basketball effect. You play it concurrent with a non-conference basketball game in November. Sign me up. Sign me up for that, right? I'm in. Um, Arizona State? Okay, so this has to be... It screams an SEC matchup to me. I think SEC. It's it's like second-tier SEC. So I'd go like um, ASU versus Ole Miss. Would that be fun? I think ASU Ole Miss is pretty good. You could even go a little a notch up from Ole Miss, but I like that one. Try to think of who else would be ASU uh, South Carolina. Yeah, that's just not that's not as sexy. It's like, not as I sexy. Think, I think Ole Miss is cool. Yeah, because like you're talking about, I mean, you got the Grove, you got Mill Ave. Like, I, I think that's a good one. You know. Yeah. The tailgating situation, like, there's some, you know talent level I th- yeah i think that's good okay Very plus cool. you got lane kiffin coming to pac-12 again and that'd be a ton of fun and coming yeah. to asu again <laughs> yeah which he yeah, had a good good experience there yeah well good experience on the way back yeah um all right then utah wait utah's got byu colorado they've got nebraska we're done i think so yeah okay those all, those all work what, what would be a utah one if it's not byu if it wasn't byu i would like utah could you do Utah, Wisconsin? Yeah, you, yeah, it's literally was going to say it. Utah, Wisconsin <laughs> would make a lot more sense. Similar teams. Um, you know, Wisconsin's obviously had a little bit more um, consistent success, but Utah is approaching that, I think, now. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. All right. Well, Thomas, hopefully uh, that worked for you. But yeah, good stuff. Neither of us really liked the idea, but if we had to, those are the teams that would probably work. If we were going to do it, this is how we would have done it. Nice. Um, we have anything else? I think that's it. Huh? Oh, no, wait. Oh, no. We got some spam. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, we got another email yeah. while we were talking. Like, no, yeah. it's uh, yeah. it's spam. It's... it's spammy. We have to figure out, like, what we're going to do because we're going to come down to the, you know, we've got like a month or so. We have to do some preview shows. We're maybe have to it'll double have... up. We're going to have to double up some people. Yeah. Maybe it'd be, um, I mean, Capsules, we could even do have like, them call divisions. in and just like leave a message. Yeah, that might be good. Um, there's we got some emails coming about too, like that uh, we're all gonna like write about our team, so we can kind of give some information about that. But yeah, maybe have everyone call in, and we could do by divisions, or we could do you know three at a time, you know, over four episodes. But we're gonna have to kind of cram in some of these season previews. 
Are we going to pick every game? Yeah, we got to pick every game. Come on. We got to pick every game. Okay. We'll do that too. Um, and then we're going to get to do our picks. We get to do our picks. I'm very excited for that. We at least get something. We'll get something of a season uh, in there. One last thing for me. Do you know what what are your thoughts on the championship weekend games? Are you, do you think they're going to do one one two two three three across the board? That's my expectation. Um, but I think they could also, if that entails a bunch of rematches, I think they might decide to make it a little bit more interesting. I think that's maybe why they're leaving it up in the air. Because if it if it basically goes Oregon USC and then the next like five in a row are more or less who you already played. I think they might try to mix it up and at least get some of the, you know, the traditional things or typical things that happen, like UCLA playing Cal or Stanford, try to get that back on the schedule. I could see them trying to do stuff like that. Where it's not necessarily a system to, to you know, put games on that week, but it's more of people saying, let's do this. Yeah, I could see that. And that, that makes sense to me. Like, just kind of talk it out. I think, you know, the the... Two versus two, three versus three makes sense for sure. And I think in an ideal circumstance, that's probably what they'll end up doing. It's just if that entails a bunch of rematches, that's kind of silly for a seven-game year. What about the, like, one versus one, obviously, championship, then two versus six, like where you do try to give an opportunity. But then you're for... doing a turn- tournament, basically. Um, you're doing it tournament style, but you're not actually having a second series of games. Right, but just so like you don't want to, if you want to get a better bowl game, so you don't want the second place team to like get an extra loss or whatever. I don't like, know. I mean, you're already, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I don't know how much the bulls are going to be dependent on anything record related this year. I think they're kind of relaxing all of those restrictions, so they're going to pick who they want. Yeah, I, I would think in this case too. I mean, you could argue if you want more bowl teams, it's better to do two versus two, three versus three. You're yeah, playing and have like better games. Yeah, and I think they're it, you've gonna already have like, the best games possible. They're gonna probably think about, okay, what's the best game possible? What's the game that draws the most eyeballs? All that kind of stuff. And I'm sure they'll factor in a bunch of different things. I would it. think at that point that's the smart thing to do because you already basically game the system for your crossover games where it tried not to, you know, yeah, give an extra loss. I don't think you need to do that for championship weekend. But I, I was thinking two, two, three, three. But I do kind of like your idea. Like, well, like if if Cal was three and ucla was four but we want cal and us ucla to play like you could do that you know yeah um move it around like you could do you know some things like that and then figure out what you know who's going to be the home team and stuff if there's like two undefeated teams who ends up being the home team in the championship game yeah tell me about it i don't know i don't know flip a coin differential like i who knows i flip Um, a coin who has the safest setup i don't know (laughs) how how big are the outbreaks in uh, eugene and los angeles at that time We'll see. I mean, do you think there's just going to be some crazy stuff? I think I think there's no choice but that there's going to be some crazy stuff. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a wild year. There's going to be cancellations. There's going to be weird stuff that happens. We already have a head coach who has COVID. Uh, there's going to be some really strange things. We could have like like a USC or an Oregon that maybe one of them's 500. You know, like who knows? Like something like that or. You know, Washington State makes a huge run, or Arizona, or so. I mean, so what team do you think that's good, or that's perceived to be good, that's going to come into the year most obviously unprepared for the season? It's well, be USC, right? They so USC from the people I've talked to did the most that they could do with the restrictions they had, um, but of the other California teams, probably only Cal 
would be up there. I, th- I think I like Cal a lot, but I think they probably did even less than what USC did. Um, Arizona State apparently did the most. If you read Chris Cartman's article, um, they were doing 20-hour work week stuff like more than you would do in a normal year. So you can't tackle, but they, even though they have two new coordinators, they've had 11-on-11 going for months. Um, and like none of the California schools have been able to do that yet, or they just started. So I would say most prepared is Arizona State. Of the favorites, maybe I'll go with Cal, but USC would be up there just because they're in California. I think Washington and Washington State have been okay. I mean, Oregon, too, they've had the restrictions, so you could argue Oregon would be in that group also. Yeah, that's true. Um, But, like, you know, UCLA, Stanford, like, would they be on the least prepared ends, like where they sent people home and stuff? Is that fair? Yeah, I mean UCLA, they've been doing like their individual stuff, um, but yeah, I mean I, I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 is going to be perfectly prepared. No, I think Utah, what you know, they prepared a lot. I think Arizona State did. I think Colorado was until Boulder shut them down, and I don't know what they're doing now. If they had to go, like there was talk of them moving out of the county, um, but I think they were Colorado was able to do some more stuff too, um, you know. Now, what about Arizona? They, you know, your head coach is down. Like, there's, there's so many interesting aspects uh, to this. Politics get involved. Like, it's you know, how crazy. It just, this is a crazy. What crazy a time place. to be alive! It is. Uh, but you know, we got Pac-12 football. We got to talk about it. We'll, uh, we'll likely not set up these previews until like the last minute. So we'll figure out how we want to do it, but it might be more of a thing, like you said, where just have people call in on the voicemail line and we can play them and kind of get some, you know, talk about what we know from uh, each team. Yeah. Cool. Either way, it's going to be haphazard uh, and probably, you know, (laughs) semi-unlistenable. Hey, man, I've been happy with our shows uh, lately. I think we've had some tight shows. We've had some good questions. We had a lot of stuff to talk about. And we actually get football to talk about, too. So uh, I'm excited for that. That'll wrap it up. Uh, He is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Bye! The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good. For a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.